I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show, with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. Actually, there's a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, we're no, going to no, no. take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show! Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And tonight we will not entertain any discussion regarding the theories of Korn's lead singer Jonathan Davis that President Obama is actually an evil dictator using special agent Miley Cyrus <laughs> to create a diversion for his plan for, I don't know, world domination, evil-tude, uh, mm. What we will say is that we think that this theory reveals more about Jonathan than it does the president, and that Mr. Davis's theory suggests that perhaps Korn's hit song, Love and Meth, is autobiographical. Now, if he were to suggest that Miley Cyrus has plans for world domination, we're on board. Indeed. We will also not be talking about people who would like us not to be talking about the coming out of Ellen Page and Michael Sam in the way that they would like us to be talking about the fact that they want us to stop talking about homosexuality altogether. Uh, huh? I know, right? Anyway, we here at the Dinner Party Show find it surprising that vocal bigots have gone from calling homosexuality shameful to declaring it no big deal and unworthy of our attention. Shocking. We see this intellectually bankrupt slate of hand for what it really is, and that's what we will be talking about. It's a craven survival technique on the part of homophobes forced to reckon with the fact that most of the country, including a majority of the Supreme Court, no longer finds homosexuality to be fundamentally disordered. Since it isn't. Exactly. So we will be talking about it, but not in the way idiots want us to talk about how we should all stop talking about it. Makes sense, right? I 
guess. All right, fine. Anyway, uh, in a related story, we also do not want to talk about Ugandan President Penhad, I think that's his first name, Penhad Musvene, who, with the help of scientists, and I'm using air quotes here, determined through unsupported and fact-free observations that the world is flat, Mm -hmm. the moon is made of cream cheese, Mm. and homosexuality is a choice, Mm. from which fully 50% of gay people will recover and return to heterosexuality if their choice is caught in time. Mm. Based on these facts, disproven by actual scientists everywhere outside of the fucked-up country of Uganda, President Penhad signed a bill into law that punishes homosexuality with life imprisonment. Wow. I guess when you recover, they release you. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that works. In any case, we are far more interested in talking about an exchange program with Uganda in which we take in Ugandan gays and their supporters, and in return, we send Uganda the American bigots and Fox publicans who spoke as though Ellen Page and Michael Sam coming out was any of their fucking business, and the state legislatures in Kansas and Arizona for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. While we can think of a better place to send them than Uganda, it sounds like a great start in the meantime. Can I get an amen? Also not being discussed tonight, the fact that Jamie Coots, a Pentecostal snake handler who was one of the stars of a new reality show about Pentecostal snake handlers, has died of a fatal snake bite. Oh dear. Maybe the man's life would have been saved if he'd been sent to jail for a good long while after cops busted him for illegally transporting venomous snakes in the trunk of his car. Jesus. We realize people have different opinions about God, but honestly, if God is love, why does he have to prove you're one of the anointed by having a snake not bite you? Wouldn't it make more sense for him to have a puppy lick your face? Or, you know, maybe just take his word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Aim for the face, God. (laughs) Aim for the face. And as always, we don't want to offend fragile German President Angela Merkel, who you may remember was very upset to discover that spies (gasps) had actually listened in on her phone calls and then even more recently was still more upset at what she overheard when spies not only listened in on an American and diplomats' phone calls, but tweeted the recordings of the diplomats' colorful private dismissal of the European Union. Fuck the European Union. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> kind of colorful. So which is it, Angela? Are you upset about spying or are you upset about what you learned from spying? We know how delicate the Germans are, so rather than risk offense, we won't say anything about you at all. <laughs> Hypocrite. Okay, well, that, but that's really it. As for everything else, it's still on the table on tonight's live cast of The Dinner Party Show. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Enjoy the hors d'oeuvres, but don't fill up. There's plenty more to come. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'm here to congratulate you, oh. Christopher, on really, truly, for certainly, double down, extra specially being finally nominated. I am officially a nominee. For the Bram Stoker Award. For, for superior your- achievement in a horror novel. Hey, we got the children who love horror and here. And for your wonderful book, your wonderful, terrifying book. Snake-filled book. Snake-filled book. The Not Report and your book are full of snakes today. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> the Heavens Rise is the name of his snaky book. It's not called Snake-Filled Book, but I suggested that. It didn't test as well. You wanted a warning label on the cover. Right. Warning contains really gross scenes about snakes. Uh-huh. Yes. But um, Bram Stoker's really, really prestigious award for that sort of snake-infested book. Yes, it is. It's really the only, I don't know, I don't know of any other awards for horror writing that are as well-known and, and, and that uh, have an organization behind them like the Bram Stoker Award does. And that name is sort of right? archetypal and in the, the whole world. And the award is of... really cool. I hope I win because it's like a, it's sort of like a haunted house thing. It's like the coolest of the awards. Like the Edgar Allan Poe Award, which is for mysteries, is literally, I think, a bust. It's either a bust of Edgar Allan Poe or it's a raven. Which after know. the following would completely freak me Absolutely. out to have in the house. Like, oh! <laughs> right? Totally. <laughs> it's here again. Exactly. And uh, the Thriller Award is is like a loose-eyed book. Mom got a Lifetime Achievement Award and I was not impressed. Did it have, <laughs> did you, could you see where they sawed the praying hands off of it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the Chamber of Commerce logo right? is removed. So I, I, no, I'm very excited. The other nominees include Joe Hill, Stephen King's son, who's also very talented. Stephen King is a nominee for Dr. Sleep, which was his sequel to The wow. Shining. Yes. F. Paul Wilson collaborated on a novel. F. Paul Wilson's not as well known as those other guys, but he wrote The Keep, which is a very famous horror novel, which was also made into a film. And He's been around for a while. I, I have not heard of the other nominee. Um, I look forward to reading her book, and uh, you know, I'm going to read all their books and learning and decide her name. if they're going <laughs> to win. <laughs> She's actually she wrote a small press title, so I think it's great that there's a small press title in the mix. And, yeah, um, books are books. You know, it's very exciting. It's very Eric's exciting. books. Eric's books. We're going to start a little magnetic sign for you. We your were book driving company. one time somewhere in a car, and on the on the door of a car we that we only, passed, we was... drive one place to see my mother in the desert. That's where we drive. That's where we were driving. Was it okay? I Nobody don't... in West Hollywood has magnetic signs on their car. Or I haven't noticed any, but no. I don't, you know, get driven around. Well, no, everybody drives. Yeah, anyway, like there was a mag- the point of the story is there was a, a magnetic sign on the door of somebody's car. I forget what it was about. I remember it was for Cynthia's slip covers. She right. had a slip cover company. And, and there was like a needle a and thread and maybe yeah. a little sofa, a yeah. frumpy looking shabby seek little sofa on there. And I thought, well, I should get a magnetic sign for my car that says... Eric's books and have like an open book on it and a pencil. And you said a little cup of coffee. A little cup that of coffee with suggested. a steam coming up from it and some glasses exactly. resting on the book. A little pair of glasses. Don't you think that would help sell my book? I think that I think that would really. I help think it's sell key. I think it's going to be the thing that really separates me from. And that. I think when you get cut off in traffic, you should have a box of your books at the ready so you can hurl a copy at whoever cut you off. And That's then, a great it's idea. Great marketing, viral marketing, Bit, bitch marketing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new thing. We invented it tonight. Bitch Potentially marketing. fatal viral marketing. Yeah. So tonight is You're the Guest, which means our party people are the guests on tonight's live cast of The Dinner Party Show. We are live. They're ours, are they? They are ours. And they are. To command. Shea Butters complained that they are feisty this week. They posted a great deal on oh, the page. Oh, Shea's always complaining. Y'all don't worry too much about Shea. He's always complaining about something. We've yeah. never gotten anything right, and he works for us. Yeah, he Don't does. tell him, though. He does. So they have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about writing. We're going to talk about editing. We're going to talk about something 
something hilarious that Samiko Salson did online. I don't know if you saw I it, but it was a riot. You're talking about graphic design? Yes. yes. Samiko added graphic design to well, her I repertoire. I really was impressed with that. Yeah. I, I loved all of those. We'll I think we should add that to the site. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we have a lot. We will be doing that later in the show. I want to surprise you with a little news article. Have you heard of this? Oh, news surprise. My favorite kind. Have you heard of this publication? Why bring jewelry when you can bring some unpleasant <laughs> news story? That's what I always say. Have you heard of Time magazine? It's like this. Well, I, I remember it. Yeah. Do the, is it still a magazine? I have brought, let the party people know that despite my, oh my digital, God, it, is it is actually a, I have a brought an paper copy of Time magazine. Copy. I didn't know they're still I'm holding like, it up I think for our YouTube Newsweek that's only online now. This is Time Magazine, and let me tell you why I bought Time Magazine. Look at the cover. Are you on the cover again? No, what did you I do this never, time? I've never been on the cover of Time oh, Magazine. Oh, it says the word airport. I am a total hopeless plane and airport nerd. I, I don't think hopeless really quite captures it. Um, airport Confidential is the cover story for this most recent I- issue of Time Magazine. Who de- really decides which flights get canceled? However, that is not why I brought in the magazine. That's why I purchased the magazine last <gasps> really? night. Really? That's not the story you want to talk about? Okay, here's the story That's I, w- I want to talk this about. That's amazing. This is really a newsflash, guys. If Christopher isn't going to talk about the airport story, Eric, if you I'm still here... listening to outtakes from that Southwest Airlines reality show that program show that was Christopher and two amazing. other people watched. That show was amazing. It was called Airline. It was a reality show about Southwest. You see it what I'm talking about? This is how it usually goes. More exciting than flying Southwest. Listen, Eric, if you weren't here, this would be called the Rambling Airplane Stuff podcast with disasters thrown in. Right. Anyway, we ha- we're having a water shortage here in California. It's being eclipsed by the horrible winter weather in the rest of the country. People aren't really paying attention to the fact that we're, we may have water rationing soon here because of the... Uh, the snowpack in the Sierra Nevadas is, I guess, 20% of what it usually is or something like that. You're yep. so good with numbers. We've got a big, yeah, numbers are really my thing. Okay, so here's the sidebar from Time Magazine. President Obama traveled to California over President's Day weekend to highlight the drought emergency, calling for shared sacrifice to help manage the state's worst water shortage in decades. He then spent the rest of the trip enjoying the hospitality of some of the state's top water hogs, Desert Golf courses. Right. He went to two different desert golf courses. Taken together, the 124 golf courses in the Coachella Valley, excuse me, consume roughly 17 percent of the region's water, and one quarter of that is pumped out of its groundwater aquifer, according to the Coachella Valley Water District. Statewide, roughly one percent of the state's water goes to keep fairways green, but each desert course, of course, on average, uses nearly one million gallons a day in the hot and dry climate. That is a messaging fail if I've ever heard one. Well, it is kind of a mixed message at the very least. Yeah. I, I honestly the fact that there are uh those beautiful they're beautiful uh golf courses in the desert at all has always sort of distressed me. Yes. I, I always see them and think, well, that's really beautiful, but isn't it kind of irresponsible that it's here? The thing that always amazes me is when you're going, when you're traveling in the desert, like you'll be traveling with beautiful, you know, lawns and trees and whatever. And then there'll be like a line of demarcation where they stop watering and then it's just the desert again. The wasteland. Full on desert. Or what's even more startling is there, and frequently I'll see it with like palm groves where they just stop watering them Mm -hmm. and they sort of just 
die out. They'd shrivel yeah. up and the, the palm trees looked like they've been burned and desiccate. Yeah. I love it that. It really word. is sort of desiccate. Yeah, no, it's really weird. But it's a completely artificial environment. But I guess all of Los Angeles really is a completely but artificial environment. You know, environment. mom lives out there. My mother lives out there and she's always talking about their aquifer. Like she's all that and their aquifer's all that. But they've got 17% of that aquifer going to golf courses. Because I always say, we always talk because, you know, we're pretty dramatic in my family. We're Irish, just like your family. Your family's Very Irish. dramatic. Yes. And we a lot talk of about what you know what our plan would be if the big one hits and i always say to her mom you're basically being where you are you're like on the edge of a giant ocean and you should just go out to sea you should go to arizona if a, if a massive earthquake hits. oh dear not arizona not right now i know but she's not Ugh. gay so they'll serve her food. i still i worry about everybody when they start taking away people's civil rights anywhere everybody is susceptible well, you know, and, and I brought up Arizona, so it's my fault, and I, I want us to talk about it more during the show, but do you think there is a chance in hell that Jan Brewer is not going to sign this bill? Well, I think that it was actually, they did it once before and she didn't sign it. Okay. Like, I think that she's actually has some history of not supporting this kind of legislation. Also, the potential, like, I think they, they've seen some of the potential for this kind of repercussions like they've already been through it with their resistance to Martin Luther King Day where they canceled the Super right. Bowl and are and now and then American baseball wanted to leave over the papers please yeah, laws. like right. so I think there's some real economic and anyway we'll, and we'll talk, talk about, about, about Arizona more. in the next segment but I'll wrap up the aquifer thing is that is that she is confident that she could remain there after a big earthquake because the aquifer is there and could support them because our water issues are we're dependent upon the north of this state for water, which is what we're learning here in LA during this drought emergency. And if there is a major earthquake in San Francisco in the Bay Area, there's a very good chance it will stop our water supply here in LA. So um all, the point is that the Rices like to talk about disasters a lot. We uh, really we get on the phone late at that night. one. That's I bought, new. Yeah, no, no, this is this is true. This is not new. That the the aqueduct that flows down the middle of me. the state. Uh, if there's a massive earthquake in the Bay Area that redirects salt water from the Bay up into the Sacramento River Valley, it will salinate our water supply. And and basically, we won't have water. So that's another fun thing to think Was about. Was there computer the animation show. on this show? I'll get you some computer uh-huh. animation. We'll introduce some computer animation. We have... A word from one of our brand new sponsors. I don't know. I don't think we've ever heard from these guys before. Oh well, it's always nice to welcome to the dinner party show. And Absolutely. I hope all of our listeners will support one of our fine sponsors. And we'll be back here very shortly to talk about the great state of Arizona. Vibrant, bouncy, full-bodied hair, luscious, kissable lips, rich, vivid eyes with thick lashes that'll get you noticed. Perfume from Europe's finest perfumiers and America's most famous celebrities. The same high-quality hair and makeup products that professionals use to achieve runway-ready results. Who needs them? Not you. You'll be spending your day cooking for ungrateful little piglets who didn't even notice when you forgot to bake the hamburger helper. You're too busy trying to keep one house brand disposable ahead of the endlessly loaded diapers brought to you by the little bundle of joy you both thought would make your lives complete. You'll just be enduring another day with a man who hasn't looked directly at your face since that time the kids drew a mustache on you with magic markers when you fell asleep on the sofa. You're who we had in mind when we developed our new line of amateur strength beauty products. Amateur beauty. Let's face it, you can't just go out without trying at all. People would think you were ill or 
having some sort of postpartum episode, but why spend your limited time and your scarce disposable income trying to achieve a look no one, not even the models on the commercials, can maintain outside of a controlled salon environment? Be an amateur beauty. Mascara that will darken your lashes and survive a direct blast from the garden hose. A sneak attack when you're changing his diaper without a PPTP, and a week of showers with our not-so-specially-formulated amateur-strength bargain soap. Because who has time to be combing out their lashes every five minutes so they look like Eva Longoria only ever has in the studio? Amateur Beauty lipstick will last longer than the paint on your minivan, and they come in two shades. Because who has the luxury of spending a bunch of time choosing between confident crimson and berry berry burgundy they're both red for christ's sake our amateur strength hair products will not only get the oatmeal and spit up out of your thinning locks but are strong enough to deodorize your car even during winter carpool and summer sports programs and amateur strength perfumes cost the same as your kitchen extracts since all perfume is really made out of the same stuff anyway there are only a few hundred professional beauties in the world We made Amateur Strength Beauty products for the rest of us. Amateur Beauty, because you're worth it. And all those rich, luscious, volumizing professional beauty products are not. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where the soup is hot, but the heads are hotter. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show. Why are there only three chocolates in here? Your life is so hard. I don't know. Just this little Valentine's heart looked bigger when I was opening it. Jack, you need to bring the giant Valentine's heart in here from the lobby. Eric likes to sabotage me, so he brings dairy products that will create fluid in my throat and and nasal passages. spoil his soprano singing voice. (laughs) See? Nothing could ruin that. First of all, I'm a tenor, bitch. Or I was when I was 16. You were a tenor bitch? I'm a tenor bitch. Tenor bitch <laughs> is my hip-hop name. Tenor bitch. So last night we had fun because Eric and I don't have boyfriends. We do everything together. As a rare exception. Actually, we did something with other people. We did something. Because we, we're so bored with each other. <laughs> because believe it or not, there are some other people we can tolerate. That's right. Or who can put up with us. Yeah, who can tolerate Although us. it's usually just for brief periods. Yeah. So we went and saw Coco Peru's newest show. At the Rheinberg Theater at the L.A. Gay and Lesbian Center here in West Hollywood. Miss Coco has been a guest here on the show. Absolutely. And uh, we uh, wanted to return the favor and go be a guest at her show. I mean, we weren't on it, but we were there. And she sent us a lovely tweet. She said she loved our energy in the first row. Uh She heckled our friend. She she was not heckling if the performer doesn't heckle the audience. Maybe the funniest (laughs) moment in the show was when she came down and went after our friend Devin. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Because I made a – Devin is like me. He's very up tight and very controlling and he was very worried about where everybody was sitting and if everyone was going to be happy and I said and now you're worried as before the show was getting ready to start I turned to him and said now you're worried that she's going to call you up on stage oh no oh no she's not, not going to do that to me that's not going to happen and she, he didn't get called up on stage but he was forced no, to repeat something outrageous came down off the stage and walked right up and got right in his face it yeah. was excellent more than once it was yeah. very good it was very good. We really particularly enjoyed it, and Devin was a great sport about it. He was. And the show was very good, and we want to have Coco back on our show, but we need to talk now about how good her show was because— It was good. She's an amazing amazing storyteller. I, I was reminded when she came on the show, we talked to her about this, but one of her self— 
proclaim titles as monologist, right? Like right. a monologist, right. I guess. And and the 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 storyteller in me was really attracted to that. I think drag has a reputation for being inflammatory and visual and lip sync driven and Coco sings all of his own yeah, songs. Which and songs. first time I've really heard Coco sing. I yeah. was really I was quite impressed. Yeah, so it was amazing. For me it was like church. I really have to say, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't have been able to admit that when I was a younger gay man. Yeah, we want to actually like, start drag queen church. Drag we were queen talking church. about it on the way home last night because she was it was very sort of spiritual it and uplifting. Was. We talked to that. Some of the stories were really sort of about things that made you look at things differently and yes. and feel things differently and feel differently about yourself. You know, Coco is all about that sort of message. That kind of absolutely. Getting better. And... But, you know, and I had the same experience, I don't know if you did, when we went to see Alec Mappa do Baby Daddy, his Ugh. one-man show about parenthood. I love Because it's Alec. like, who else is working this hard to translate our experiences as gay people? It's not really network television. It really isn't. I mean, no. there are gay characters, but, but not our, our maturation and our losses. They're still relegated to what straight people think gay people are like. No, yeah. I'm not complaining, you know, whatever. I'd like for it to be better. We're making progress. We've moved away from at least the sort of Amos and Andy level stereotypes of Will and Grace, but we're still very much relegated to that kind of place. Right. But Alex, wonderful show, Baby Daddy, has actually been made into a movie which is premiering at Outfest. Yes, Alec did a Kickstarter campaign. He funded this himself. Talked about it here. And he had his one-man show filmed and edited, and I don't know where he did it. It was here in L.A., but he had it, and you had an audience and everything. And now he is receiving, an, it's not a Lifetime Achievement Award from Outfest, but it's something pretty damn close. It's a, it's a high honor, and we're going to go and support him, and it will also be the premiere of the movie itself. So we're very excited for him. Very and, excited. And you may remember um, Alec actually sang a number from his show. His yes. uh, Miley Cyrus, uh, he sang Miley yes. Cyrus's Party in the USA as Betty Davis. So that's a fun thing that you might want to hark back and listen to again. We'll try and have it on the show for you. Party in the soon. USA, if you've already forgotten, is a song Miley Cyrus sang before she only sang about Molly and masturbating. Right. Not that I'm against her. No, she can those, do whatever she do, wants. Do whatever, but, honey. I yeah. wasn't going to come and see you anyway, so <laughs> we'll, no one here will ever see any if of this. She does so you do whatever you want to. a one-woman show at the LA Gay and Lesbian Center, we might go see Miley's one-woman show at the Gay and Lesbian Center, but only as a as an attempt to rope she, her into being a guest on the dinner party show. If she offers me a ride on that flying hot dog, I'm in. What's this? Tell me she about this. She arrives at her is. show, like her her new show. She enters the show on a flying hot dog, and mm-hmm. there's another thing where she makes an interest coming down a slide, which is her tongue coming out of a giant picture of her face. Wow, and wow. Yeah, it's really, it's very classy. Yeah, well, and okay. I think she blows somebody with a President Clinton mask or, you know, acts like she is. I'd Blow it's Clinton. very classy. I'd blow Clinton. We talk politics a lot here on the dinner party show. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah very politically active. Here. So let's talk and about passive. Let's talk about Arizona again. I'm as long being as we're told, talking about politically active. I'm being told by Shea Butters that Jan Brewer, the governor, who there's much speculation about whether or not she's going to sign this hateful, bigoted, discriminatory bill into law. That she previously didn't sign a similar bill into law, but only because she was mad at the Republicans about something else. Not it was because about she didn't um, like the bill. expanding Medicare. And I think that politicians use excuses mm-hmm. like that, like I'm doing it for some other reason. There's the whole philosophy in the House where they say vote no and hope yes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that for some idiot constituency, you do one thing and yeah. hope that actually the other thing happens because you don't actually want it to happen. But the fools who are voting for you are in favor of whatever stupid thing it is you're actually voting against. You know, the whole yeah. let's not fund the government thing because sure. some backwater lunatic who's in your district thinks that's what you should do. That yeah. would actually benefit them in some way. Yeah, I'm going to be a big, big West Hollywood gay with this analogy and this comparison, but we go through this at my condo building on which I am. I sit on the board. Oh, I love this. But it's this attitude of I am not my homeowners association. Like the HOA is this separate thing from right. me that is my enemy. And it's like you are a member of the HOA. You are affected by all the decisions that are made. You have recourse. You have the ability to vote. This, we're not this like these evil people who are planning your demise upstairs. Like right. w- the like, government is and not I, separate. I feel that from way people. about the government. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's big and it's hard to understand bureaucracy. Learn. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I loved about uh, Bill Condon's film, the uh, Fifth Estate, yes, was that sort and we of we were the only two people who loved that film. I apparently. guess so. I I'm really surprised that Benedict I, wasn't nominated for Best Actor. I don't know that it I was think, the greatest film of the year, but I thought the performance was astonishing, yeah. and I loved that the 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 real theme of that movie was alienation. Julian Assange and people like that, the the lead singer from Corn, have come to believe that. Government is somehow separate than they are. I mean, one of the things that I really I I despised the violence. I'm so sorry that so many people died and were hurt in uh, Ukraine this week. But those people were taking part in their government. The people in Venezuela and the people in Thailand are participating in their government. They're not saying that government shouldn't be there. They're saying Government should be responsive to us. Right, right. And it's not the same thing as somehow government is evil and I need to drown it in a bathtub. I just, yeah. I don't understand that kind of I, anarchistic I kind of view of the world. I don't see it as motivated by anything other than this hatred and anger that the government has decided to recognize and include a type of person I don't like. A black person, a brown person, a gay person, a woman in a role that I'm not f- comfortable with her being in. And so because the government has made this decision to include and to recognize, the whole thing has to be burned down. But I honestly think this is the, the Tea Party anarchy that we're dealing with is just PTSD from the Iraq war. There were so many members of the conservative base who felt like they gave up individual liberties in the name of the Patriot Act and in the name of the Bush Doctrine, and they felt so fucked by it and so betrayed, and they're so angry. They're like, burn the whole party down. Burn the whole system down is really their attitude, rather than burn their own party down, which is what they're doing. Right. But, you know, those are the motivations that I see. I honestly think that it it, it is a tool, it is a, an incredibly... Um, cynical tool that's being used by people to manipulate ignorant, bigoted people into voting for them because they they run on one thing and then they do something completely else. They've been running on cutting people's taxes and cutting spending for years. They've never cut spending, never. This is the first... It's a complete lie. They just run on it and then they do whatever the hell they want, which is right. enrich old rich white guys whenever they get into office. That's really the objective. And everything else is smoke and mirrors and 
stagecraft right, right. to get people to vote for them. They don't actually do any of that stuff. The Scott Walker thing in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. he didn't run on any of the dismantling unions and hurting the working people. Right. He didn't run on that. He ran on the usual sort of boilerplate reactionary right wing. Yeah. Uh, well, a, a great stuff. example was abortion. Like only recently did the the hardline Republicans actually begin to do anything real about abortion, and they started doing it all at the state level with this stuff that they know will probably never get past the Supreme Court. But when I was coming up as as a high school student studying civics and government, it was just a, it was a given that Republicans talked about abortion all the time, used it to whip up their base, and never did anything meaningful about it, really. You know, so I mean, yeah, you're right. It's I totally agree. I with think you. that it is a very cynical age in politics right now. I think people say stuff all the time that they absolutely. I feel the same way in on our side as well. I watched President Obama and um, Hillary Clinton, of whom I am a big fan, say that they didn't believe in equal marriage rights for gay people because that's what the polls had told them that they it needed to say. Popular, I never, yeah. I never once thought that either of them actually believed that. Yeah. You know, I I think they just said it because they felt they had to. I, I watched John McCain, who used to be, even though I don't agree with his politics, somebody that I had some admiration for, completely sell out all of his own principles yeah, and beliefs absolutely. in the pursuit of trying to get it. And I think even he was disgusted by it. And that brings me back to the Arizona thing that we were talking about earlier, because I have never had this impression of Arizona as this deeply religious state. I've always I, My question when I was reading about this is, where are the Goldwater concerns? Conservatives that always defined Arizona. Where are the live and let lives and leave me alone and stay out of my bedroom, you know? Well, I, apparently what happens in Arizona, they're, they're everywhere in Arizona except in the legislature. Apparently what happens in Arizona is all of this happens in the legislature, but once they actually ask the people to vote on stuff like Martin Luther King Day or anything else, the people of Arizona are actually cool with that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It's kind of like... Nobody, like only 1% of the people who are actually in the NRA actually believe the stuff that the NRA says that right. everybody believes. Most of the people in, in the NRA actually believe that, you know, that having an ID check when you buy a gun seems like a sensible idea. I, I think oftentimes the leadership, because they are motivated by these other objectives, gets stuck in these sort of – I don't know, communications loops, if you mm-hmm. will. Right, right. And because they're pursuing another agenda, Absolutely. they don't even bother to listen to the people who are actually involved. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a little music break here on The Dinner Party Show. Eric Shaw Quinn has suggested a song that's a little bit of a tribute to my book, The Heavens Rise. I which thought was so. I thought we added it A finalist it today. for the Bram Stoker Award. So it's not a scary song, but I think you'll get the, I think you'll get the joke. Yeah, congratulations, Christopher. Thank and The you, Heavens sir. Rise. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Let's dish. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. Excuse me. I'm having a little Diet Coke and chocolate because Eric Shaw Quinn is trying to sabotage me. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Yeah. (laughs) He's Christopher Rice. I think he was got so caught up in telling about the chocolate. Eric Shaw Quinn, saboteur. Okay, so tonight is the You're the Guest Show. I viciously brought a big heart-shaped box of chocolates here. I can't stop eating it. You were talking. You were like, politics, blah, 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 Arizona, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, chocolate, chocolate, eat the chocolate. Right. Well, I just can't, so I would if I could. 
bad. We keep getting reports from Shea Butters that the party people are feisty tonight. We don't know what that means because we're busy doing the show and not scouring our Facebook page. (laughs) Apparently, my mother is on a rant. She says an 18th century colonial village in America had bigger and more efficient government than we do. Just one particular village or all of them in general? Just the one she lived in in her previous (laughs) life. In her childhood. Before she was put in the stockade for telling heretical tales. Oh, dear. So we had a lot of questions. That happens. We had a lot of questions pour in this week from our party people, but one in particular is my favorite, and I haven't gone over it with you, and I know you didn't look at your packet that I gave you. Because we were running around here trying to find the correct version of the not yeah, report before did the show weird, started. I did a weird thing, and you did a weird thing, and it was weird. It was weird. It was weird. It was just it's weird. A script issue. Mike yeah. Martinez not would like to know, when you boys fight, boys, okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Who is the one that makes the first move to make up even if they were right? Well, I don't know if you've heard, but Eric has never been wrong. <laughs> so it's really an easier, it's a much easier process than you would might imagine. Uh, I am. I'm the first one to make up when, when, I'm, when I'm right or wrong. I mean wrong, wrong. When I'm wrong, I'm the first one to make <laughs> up. I call and I bring you a present. I don't know. We've, we have not. We don't really have bad. We've never really had bad fights, and usually we're sensitive enough to each other's feelings that oftentimes, what happens the most often with this is that the phone will ring and it will be the other one and, and saying, you know that thing that I said at dinner three weeks ago? Well, I've been thinking about it, and if that upset you, I want you to know I really didn't mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it usually is more something like that mm-hmm. than us actually having a fight. Yeah. We've had one or two things where we've gotten into a disagreement about something but we've never had a really bad But I don't fight. think we've ever really you had know, a You know, I just bad long fight. ago learned to do what you say. It's really it's just easier. easier for everyone it's if I it. just do it. That Eric really says. is ask anyone here at the dinner party show. Yeah. Except maybe Shea Butters. Um, complaining about our party people. Right. Um, uh, but so yeah, I, that's a, that's an interesting question. Yeah, no, I hadn't really thought of it, but I guess we don't really fight. And I, I guess largely because I am always right. But listen, th- th- this show is challenging to do because we do a good job. <laughs> I am not always right. You're not always right. No, you're not always right. I'm so supremely not always right. I'm wrong, I'm wrong about that, too. But we have never... Never, in over a year of doing the show, had some screaming meltdown fight with each other. And you would think, if there's a pressure cooker environment in which to do it, it's this show. Well, I mean, it's not like we have elephants here, we've but we actually, do have the Restless Leg Dancers. We have really been clever. We've actually brought in um, outside suppliers to have screaming knockdown mm. drag-out fights with, and we've That's avoided... True. It's how we've avoided having screaming knockdown and fights And we, we also other. partition up the responsibilities. There are certain things, like you were the design of the studio was really your ballywick, and the social media side of things was really really my Ballywick. Am I using Ballywick correctly? It's I, one of those words where I, I think was, so. Okay. Wheelhouse. Yeah. So we're not fighting over stuff. We're not pulling in two different directions on the same issue all the time because you have certain skills and I have certain skills. Yeah. I mean, I think we've tried to play to each other's strengths and I think also whenever we have a suggestion, we just make it. Well, what do you think about so-and-so? Yeah. Absolutely. And the other person either says, well, actually, Eric, that's a really dumb idea because social the way social media really works... Or sometimes it's like, oh, wow, that's great. Because I think I actually thought of having people ask questions on Facebook, even though I'm not really the social media person, because I thought that would drive traffic to our Facebook Well, this brings us to another point that we should probably be promoting. We did not want to take calls because we didn't know who was going to be calling, and we didn't want to hire somebody to, to, to just man the phones because I had been on Internet radio shows where people just call in and they say, you all want to talk about vaginas? 
I won't talk about vaginas. And everyone's like, oh, what do we do? Uh-oh. It's like, hang up. That's what you do. Right. So we didn't want to be in that situation. So for one thing, it was a buffer, but also it was about organizing a community of people. I think one of the un, uh, the unasked for benefits of it is, is that you all talk to each other. Yeah, like it, exactly. it creates a, a conversation that we may or may not be a part of on the Facebook page. I think it, I like that sort of community atmosphere. Like Samiko, you want to talk about Samiko's yeah, wonderful about contribution? Samiko's doing. First of all, Samiko and another woman this week have taught me a new term, which is beta reading. Beta reading. Did you see my text about this earlier today? I sent it to you. Do you know what a beta read is? No, you it's what you did for me on my latest novel, The Vines. You were an early reader. My mother was a beta reader. It's like a technological term. No, it makes sense. It's a technological explanation of yeah, a great something that's enormously helpful as a writer. So Samiko is is uh, she's finished a manuscript. She's published several books, and she's having several other party people read it and give her feedback. They are her beta readers, and so. She would like to know. I think those people are Philip Cohen, Michael Rakowski, and Greg Wilkie. They have given her help uh, with reworking her novel. She says Philip and Michael are great beta readers. There's that buzzword again. I love that. And Greg, who's had success with his Mortimer Drake books, published independently, is going to write an intro for her book. So the party people are doing stuff together. And How it's cool nice. is that? It's I love cool. that. I mean, and that's the sort of who was it who was in here talking about the salon that we were doing? I guess it was Patricia. Patricia, Patricia Cornwell. Cornwell. She's had some luck with her yeah. books. Talking about, um, yeah, but <laughs> talking about, you know, we were putting together a salon, and I think that. That's the benefit. Like, it extends the salon, it extends the table to all of the people on the Facebook page, whereas if people called in, that wouldn't really happen because they wouldn't be on the line together. They would still be entirely separate. And, uh, you know, it is is, um, a principle. I don't know if that's the right word, but it it is an effort on the part of a lot of indie authors right now to share the information, that the information is the wealth, and... Helping each other can be done much more efficiently and easily on the internet. And writers like Hugh Howey, who had great success as an independent author with his Wool series, and Barry Eisler, who chose to go independent after being a New York Times bestseller, um, they're, they have blogs, and they're sharing tips on how to market yourselves, and, and they are literally building a community. They're putting their money where their mouth is, which is that they have um, objections to the way the traditional Big Five legacy publishers have done things, and they want to give other people access and opportunity to thrive. And so rather than hoarding all of their tips on how to make it in this new digital space, they're sharing them widely online. So. And I, the thing that I have loved about this move to the, the more digital age of publishing is that it puts the power back in the hands of the people who are creating the content content is king it is in the market that and but you know with being the king there are responsibilities and i think learning about marketing and sales and those kinds of we talk about it all the time amongst ourselves that we are really in the book selling business one of the things we do is write books but we are more principally in the business of selling books because right. that's actually how one makes a living at it. And there was, and I want to get to, Sumiko actually has a question for us, which I want us to talk oh, about right. in a minute, but there was a New Yorker article that was published last week about Amazon, which raises all the sorts of questions that we talk about a lot on this show. Yeah. What are the implications of it? What's the implication of of going, uh, of leaning in the direction of digital with ebooks, and are we going to go completely digital? What is the future of the of the print book, and what is the role of traditional publishers? And it's a it's a very complicated article. 
It is written from the point of view of an established New York publishing person who sees publishers as necessary gatekeepers, even though he sort of pretends not to. And it's being bandied about by people as a defense and as proof that Amazon doesn't care about books, that they're about selling as many products as they can. And if they're lawnmowers or blenders or whatever, it doesn't matter. And the books are the loss leader. And I don't necessarily agree. I think it is born of the notion that has always, I think, prevailed in publishing and that has always sort of astonished me is that publishers actually don't see themselves as manufacturers who sell a product. Right. There is the, the idea that you are a gatekeeper is incorrect. Mm -hmm. Actually, what you are is somebody who manufactures and sells a product. And, and as such, publishing doesn't do anything that any other modern company does to manufacture and sell its products. They don't advertise their products. They don't they don't promote the authors of their products. They don't really do right. anything that any other company would do to sell, you know, Whammo does a better job of selling their products than publishing does. Yeah. And they become incredibly defensive when you bring up the topic with them. Well, we can't. We can't afford it. We can't No. I'm like, well, what do you mean you can't afford it? What does that say about the portfolio of products you're putting out there? That Have you not leveraged the most successful performing products well against the ones that don't? It's just a baffling, but baffling it, it thing gives people a sort of it puts blinders on people and so they so then we're having a discussion like one of the things I think that there will always be a place in the world for publishers and one of the things I hope we don't lose is editors because I love the editing process it's, which it is part of my favorite leads us beautifully to Samiko Salson's question do Eric and Christopher have any advice on editing it makes me a little crazy I always have to have a print copy but what other methods do they use to perfect their work you value having an editor, having somebody, I a person that you it. work with. Yeah. I, some of the things that have happened with my writing have happened in the editing process. I always feel like I'm making the clay with the first draft. And then once I have the clay, then I can make whatever I'm going to make out of it. And and, and I can't really start until the clay is there. You right. can't make a, you know, a, I don't know, a Ming vase until you have the clay. I agree. I think also editors can be good for winnowing down your your purpose for the book, if that's the right word, what, what your intentions really are with the story that you're trying to tell. Because once I am connected to what that intention is, I don't have a lot of hysterical fights over how an individual sentence flows. Yeah, it's like you the know? trees for the forest things. They can yeah. see things that you aren't necessarily seeing, and once you see them— you can't stop seeing right. them. You can't unring that bell. The other thing that I always recommend to people is that all editors' suggestions, it was pointed out to me early on, are just that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's still my book. and. Right. It's going to be my book in the end, so I have to be pleased. So I always look at editing as suggestions. Like, all right, well, that's actually a really good point. Or, yeah, I see what you're saying, and I'm not going to do that for other reasons. And and I don't get into arguing about it or explaining why I'm not going to do it. I just don't do it. Right, right. You're editing a book right now. Yeah, although I'm doing it largely the part that I'm doing, I, I've started calling it renovating a book <laughs> I, because it has turned out to be a much more complicated process than I originally thought. I thought it was going to, I was just going to buzz through it, but it's more of a rewrite than an edit. But because I'm working with extant material, I'm having to do this sort of renovation, resurfacing, repurposing. 
and then actually original writing to to bring it into being the sort of book that I've that I've actually been discussing making it into it, with an editor. Exactly. And just so you know, this was actually Jesse Colton's specific question. He says, in addition to being super excited about Samiko Salson's party person profiles, which we talked about earlier. Oh, my she God, wa- I love Jesse them. wanted to ask you about how the editing process is coming along for your mystery series about himself and that broken heart. And uh, though I've said this before, <laughs> do you have any plans to release I Do independently now that you are a best-selling gay literature author with, say, Uncle? Oh, well, that's an interesting thought I hadn't really thought of. I, I, I'd i have to go back and reread I Do at this point because so much has changed in the last two years. When I wrote, wrote I Do, when I wrote, say, Uncle, gay people were actually having their children taken away from Away from them in court, right? Right. Still, mm-hmm. um, and that has changed so much that it seems almost a quaint period piece. And the same is kind of true of I do. It's the themes in and around why not have gay marriage and gay marriage in general. And because that topic has changed so much, I have to say I'd have to reread the book at this point. Yeah. To to see if it would still be relevant or again a quaint mm-hmm. period piece, which I think there might actually be. A call for you have a lot to do. You just have a lot. You you have a lot on your plate right now. We'll I've got to finish this murder. Mystery. You got to finish the murder and mystery. I would like to say. I would like to say for the record that this book is not about me and that drunken whore. This book <laughs> is based on that relationship and that time in my life. But frankly, unless you want to see her X-rays, there really isn't anything else to know about her. The fuck are you doing? Can't believe we haven't been hitting that button the oh whole time. Oh my god! Um, excellent. Okay, we in the time we have left, we should get to some other party person questions. Frank Lozier, here's the deal. Frank Lozier, I know you use Kobo in Canada, and there is always a delay when I put a new ebook out. Smashwords is the supplier for a lot of different ebook retailers that aren't Amazon, and there is a delay that happens. I upload the book to Smashwords; it's there for a while, and all you indie authors, Greg Wilkie, Samiko Salson, you should know this as well. You can give the option of having um, Smashwords distribute it to iBooks, Barnes & Noble, and a bunch of other retailers like Kobo, and it takes as long as they decide it needs to take before your book appears on those sites. So right now we're waiting for it to pop up on iBooks and Kobo. I'm sorry, I just had to, I know it was a procedural note. but No, but I think that's good information because people sometimes have the feeling, your mom talked about it when she was on the show, that somehow we are obstructing people from getting our work when nothing could be further from the truth. I love the immediacy of digital publishing, but there are still going to be delays because there are still other people involved. Absolutely. Okay, another question from Sharon Haas, and I shouldn't have given her two questions, but she's a sweetheart, and she she asked some really good questions. If your life was turned into a movie, what would the title be and who would play you? And this is just for Eric. If you could be anyone from the past centuries, who would you want to be? Who would I want to be from the past? I'm not a big fan of the past. I've always said that I really don't want to live any time before there was penicillin and air conditioning. (laughs) But I guess, like, what would be really... I think I would maybe like to be... I w- maybe somebody like Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, somebody who oh, met— Michelangelo had a horrible life. But he, really he met him. all of these fabulous people. Like, uh, those are the lives that appeal to me, the people whose lives where you read the biography and you go, oh, my yeah. God, how did they end up meeting all of those people? Alice Longworth, I would love to be Teddy, um, Teddy Roosevelt's daughter. I would love to be, like, people who managed to 
be all of these places and meet all of these people, remarkable people in time. I that would be the 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 sort of person from the past that would be. I'm so happy being me. I I rarely think about life in those terms. So that question was only for you, but this question was actually for me. If my life was turned into a movie, what would the title be and who would play you? Everybody says he's too. We're we're very far apart in age now. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. I always lobbied for Matt Damon, but apparently I don't have that if extra you, Matt Damon bastard touch. If you touch. look at at the early Kevin Bacon movies, that Friday the 13th, isn't that the one? The camp one. Yes, the yeah. Friday the 13th. I mean, there are scenes where it's like, oh my God, that's Christopher. It mm-hmm. really is. The, yeah. the resemblance is, is really remarkable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in this day, yeah, Kevin is really... I love Kevin Bacon, but he's too old to play you. Okay, so Matt Damon then. I guess it'll have to be. I think Matt Damon is so hot. That's weird. I'm attracted to myself. Weird! Yeah, that really is very weird. <laughs> it's one of those... Because everybody thinks you and Matt Damon look just alike. Every oh, now right. and then I hear it. I hear it that we look alike. I don't know what all this hostility is about. Okay. Because you hear recordings of yourself saying it on our show? We then... <laughs> listen to our show over and over again in the shower. You know what I like is that now when I listen to our show in the shower, we have made our technical announcement shorter so I don't get trapped hearing our eight-minute explanation of how to use Twitter and Facebook and talk to people. Thank heaven. Well, it's time for another word from one of our sponsors, another new sponsor here on The it's Dinner Party Show. It's a very exciting night here at The Dinner Party Show. And then we'll it's be back for dessert to wrap things up. Does every day feel like a rainy day? Do you find it hard to crack a smile even when something good happens? Then ask your doctor about Codependa, a new antidepressant designed to improve focus and mood and restore your regular sleep patterns. Codependa, let the sun rise on your rainiest days. Codependa is not to be taken on an empty stomach, but if you have eaten in the past few hours, make sure it's something Codependa likes. Codependa likes leafy vegetables, grains, but nothing that had a miso glaze on it. Multiple lab studies confirm Codependa hates Harry Belafonte. Patients who are taking Codependa and who listen to Harry Belafonte may suffer from a severe gastrointestinal attack resulting in full evacuation of the bowels. This attack will cease either when the bowels are fully evacuated or the patient has turned off Harry Belafonte. Do not date drummers while taking Codependa. Codependa hates drummers. Codependa thinks being a drummer is just a cover for being a driftless, self-obsessed narcissist. Do you have a dog? Get rid of it before taking Codependa. Codependa likes cats. Codependa is taken with her combined sense of mystery and play, tempered by their seeming detachment from and or obliviousness to human emotion. Codependa does not want to see another one of those Hobbit movies. Codependa thought the last two were too long and too complicated, and Codependa felt the 3D didn't add that much to the story. Patients who were taking Codependa should not operate an ice cream truck while taking Codependa because that creepy-sounding music ice cream truck's play creeps Codependa the fuck out. Codependa. It'll bring joy back to your life. As long as you don't piss it off. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where dessert is the most important meal of the day. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. Well, I'm having some chocolate. eating dessert all by himself, <laughs> and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, <laughs> yeah. who's still on a diet. The whole fucking night, I have just ignored you. It's just like, whatever. And then there's some guy here with a ponytail yeah, in this I'm, other chair. Teach me to bring you a box of chocolates. Next Sunday, we are doing an Oscar special, which should be incredible. And we will be live tweeting the entire Oscar broadcast yes, yes. at Dinner Party Show. A special on Twitter. will play here at the usual time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. But we will be live tweeting. So just to confuse you thoroughly, we're going to be doing five things at once. 
And I'm sure Eric will be upset about something while all of this is happening. Oh, I'm always upset about something. <laughs> you can just depend on it. I'm not, however, upset about the amazing graphics that Samiko designed. I want to talk. Yes. I want to mention those before we get off the air. My favorite is Talitha Wagoner's guest photo picture because in her picture she looks like she's about to either kiss you or eat you. I can't tell which. Or she's just, like, just so like it's yeah. like he posed for the picture. Justin did pose for that yeah. picture. That's but his I mean, Facebook photo. But I mean as though it was for that particular function. <laughs> Obviously, they all posed for the pictures, Christopher. Why are you always so smart and accurate about things? Oh, you're right, Eric Shaw. Quinn getting stuff right and knowing what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just some... But it really is wonderful. I think it would be a great addition to um, the website so that people could... Post their own party people pictures. Sure, let's just keep adding things to the website and forgetting that we've well, something it downloadable yep. that people could just add their picture to. They did it. I did it for Fruity Pebbles. Did the thing a while back where you could pose with John Senna from <laughs> the, the Wonderful World of Wrestling. I posted that picture. I'll repost it soon. Dallas and, did a thing. Wait, before you go on, Dallas did a thing where it would it would access your Facebook page and make a title sequence out of your friends' Facebook photos, but I could really only cool. get it to work once. It was fucking hilarious. I that's loved it. brilliant. And Shea Butters has posted the Alec Mappa clip. So yes. you can see or hear. I think you can see and hear. I think it's and, on YouTube. And, and, and you're going to hear this more and more as we approach the date. March 9th. Dun, dun, dun. Big fucking news from you. No. And Rice Anne on our Rice show, our guest here live in the studio. To talk about to reveal the name and subject of her next book. Get ready to go to Loch Ness, folks. She's gonna do the Loch Ness monster. Oh, Christopher, you shouldn't tell. <laughs> no, nope. it's gonna be big. It's big, be big announcement. Live big announcement here in studio. Exclusive announcement to the dinner party so show. Anne Rice and March you 9th. all. Anne Rice and the party people and the people of the page. Hopefully more, more people of the page are coming over every time she comes on the show. Good for God. You're all welcome. Glad to have but you. They're not all welcome. Uh, not everybody's welcome. We're gonna, Coco said a thing last night about making oh, your I circle. I knew you were going to run with this About making one. your circle include the circle of even the people who don't like you. Because they make a circle to wall you out, but you can easily make a circle that includes them. And I I thought that was a beautiful image. So with that happy thought for the day, the bitter old hag from yeah, the dinner party we'll show, see how Eric long this Glenn, Then let somebody honk a horn <laughs> on your block later tonight. I'm starting an ordinance. I'll be at City Hall. I'll be at City Hall. Me Park. and uh, Anadia. Eric is the only person I know who has successfully protested a parking ticket. I won. And I gave testimony. I beat City Hall. I had witnesses and evidence. I thought the woman was going to pass that out. That was the judgment. Uh, the, the claimant wins on the basis of a preponderance, preponderance of, evidence. of evidence. It was when I discovered that you keep every receipt from the parking lot ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. You That's were right. raised by depression era of I children files, and you keep everything. I have filing cabinets filled with files at my home which have receipts for all kind of stuff. I, and that's one of the th- receipts I keep. My life is about the race to throw things away. It really is. I like a clean, lean, lean life that, you know. Yeah, that that's... <laughs> That describes Full it. Full of donuts and chocolate <laughs> and inappropriate boyfriends. And old wheat thins that should have been thrown away in 1972. Now, that's where I have trouble throwing stuff away is the kitchen because it just don't go there very much. I know, unless I know. you're there to set fire to a fruitcake when in I the bu- microwave. When oven. I buy new groceries, I, I discover all the old groceries. Is the show over? Is our Brandon, show over? Brandon, is the show over? Brandon, should we end the show now? 
The show's, show's, been, show's been, been over, over for, for an hour. You turned us off anyway. Well, okay, so remember, party people, Oscar special next Sunday, March 9th. Huge, Big announcement. Huge, huge, Anne huge, Rice huge, live in the studio. Huge Anne Rice announcement here in the studio. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Thanks.